Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include FHFA News, my interview with Andy Walden and Brendan O'Connell on the current rate environment, and why rates went up yesterday. Thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Black Knight. During these podcasts with Black Knight, we will be speaking with several folks from the company's data and analytics division, which provides high-quality, comprehensive, and nationwide property and mortgage data, as well as cutting-edge analytics solutions. Black Knight's data and analytics help lenders mitigate risk, generate more leads, and reduce costs. As a result, lenders across the U.S. trust Black Knight's data and analytics to help them be more competitive and grow their business. Willie Sutton never actually uttered the phrase, I rob banks because that's where the money is. But he did admit never feeling more alive than when he was robbing them. Fraud and wire theft isn't as blatant, but it is more expensive and insidious. Anywhere there's money, there are people who want it. Loan officers, compliance, QC, and audit personnel tell me that it's on the rise, unfortunately, whether it originates with the borrower, title company, underwriter, wire transfer agent, or other players in the process. Certainly, mortgage fraud is on the FBI's radar. Listing common mortgage schemes and recent examples of mortgage fraud that should be taught to every mortgage employee on its website. Lenders and auditors see growing numbers of both altered images and PDFs, as well as issues of mismatched documents indicating suspicious activity. Lenders are increasingly conducting retro-analysis on the documentation of defaulted loans, both mortgage and small business lending. And there are usually early signs that could have been caught by applying detection and cross-source validation. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Andy Walden and Brendan O'Connell. Andy Walden is the Vice President of Enterprise Research and Strategy of the Data and Analytics section for Black Knight Inc., a premier provider of integrated software, data, and advanced analytics to the mortgage and real estate industries. As the chair of Black Knight's editorial board and the guiding force behind Black Knight's Mortgage Monitor Report, Andy is widely cited by media outlets and industry publications. His insights are gleaned through in-depth analysis of Black Knight's robust suite of data solutions, including Black Knight's industry-leading McDash loan-level mortgage performance database, the Black Knight Home Price Index, SiteX, a comprehensive U.S. property database, and numerous additional data repositories. He has over 15 years of industry experience, including default servicing operations, market surveillance, and applied mortgage analytics. Brendan O'Connell is the data solutions manager for the Optimal Blue division of Black Knight. In this role, Brendan serves as product and business development lead for bringing origination-focused data products to market. Prior to Black Knight, Brendan held operational and product manager roles at early stage data and analytics technology ventures. Previously, he provided strategic investment advisory in both an investment banking and private equity capacity. Brendan, I want to start with you. We've seen rates rise by more than 200 basis points since the start of the year, completely changing mortgage landscape. Can you give us some insight into what's happening? Have we ever seen rates rise so sharply, so quickly? Yes, it's been quite the start to the year. According to our Optimal Blue Mortgage Market Indices, or OBMMI, the 30-year conforming rate sat at just under 3.4% heading into January. In the first week of May, we were looking at roughly 5.6%. To put this in historical context, this was the largest five-month rise in 30-year rates in more than 40 years, dating all the way back to 1981. Back half of May did provide a bit of reprieve as rates appeared to hit a plateau. After peaking at just shy of 5.6%, the OBMI 
30-year conforming fixed rate retreated more than 20 basis points to finish the month at 5.34%. So ultimately, May did end up down seven bips from the end of April. Looking ahead, where we go next, I think will be dependent on inflation and other geopolitical dynamics, certainly, but I think probably most importantly on how the Fed responds. We've already seen the direct impact of Fed policy on mortgage rates with the reduction in balance sheet holdings of MBS that was teed up at the end of last year. Through the pandemic, we were, we were closely tracking the outsized impact Fed buying had on MBS relative to treasuries, the spread between the MBS current coupon, which you can really think of as a proxy for MBS yield, and the 10-year fell to an unprecedented 20 bips at roughly this time last year. It was a drop of 80 basis points from where it had been prior to the pandemic. In other words, MBS yields and mortgage rates came down almost a full percentage point more than treasury yields fell. Not surprisingly, we are now seeing the reverse happening as the Fed unwinds its holdings. The spread I just mentioned between MBS and treasuries has hit 120 basis points. It's a full percentage point swing the other way. That has had the effect of pushing up mortgage rates much quicker than yields on government bonds, which we tend to think about as moving in lockstep. So I think this interplay between Treasury and MBS yields will be one of the more important elements to track as we look towards the rate environment in the back half of the year. And Andy, I remember back in January, Black Knight was reporting there were about 11 million mortgage holders who could have benefited from and likely qualified for a refinance. Given today's rate environment, what's that population look like? And has everyone who could have refinanced already essentially done so? That's a good question. I mean, if you look at refinance activity throughout the pandemic, we've seen about 18 million homeowners that have been able to benefit from the record low rate environment that Brendan just discussed and already refinanced their mortgage. So you have seen a lot of that refinance activity taking place over the last couple of years. If we look at where we entered 2022 here, you're absolutely right. We had 11 million still high quality refinance candidates sitting out there entering 2022. In any year other than 2020 and 2021, that would have been an all-time high, right? So refinance incentive was still pretty, pretty historically strong entering this year. Now, that being said, because of the rate dynamic that's played out, because we've seen a 40-year high jump in, in 30-year rates here entering 2022, we've seen that drop off pretty significantly, right? So 10 million of those mortgage holders that they kind of bypassed taking advantage of those rates and still had incentive entering this year have now lost incentive. We've seen refinance incentive drop by about 90% so far here over the first five months of this year. And now we're standing with about 1 million refinance candidates left. So we're now looking at the lowest levels of refinance incentive that we've seen in the market since 2008. Brandon, what about the purchase market? It's become much more expensive to borrow the money necessary to buy a home, which has also become much more expensive itself. Are we seeing any downward pressure shifts in demand there? Uh, yes and yes. The, the combination of rising rates and home prices have caused the monthly payment required to finance the average home purchase to rise by $600 over the first five months of 2022 and $865 since the start of the pandemic. That's up nearly 80%. Uh, and we're certainly seeing the impact on home purchase demand, although the dynamic in the market is maybe a bit more nuanced. Looking at our May rate lock data, purchase volumes fell only 2.3% month over month from a volume perspective, and we're actually flat year over year. However, the, the steep rise in home prices is, is hiding the weakening purchase demand, which can be more accurately viewed when looking just at lock counts. So in May, we saw purchase lock counts down 8.5% year over year, which is not surprising given the headwinds discussed. And I think despite that Slumping purchase demand, the oversized impact of rising rates on the refi market has driven the share of purchase locks increasingly higher. 
In fact, purchase loans made up 82% of all locks in May, the highest share since Optimal Blue began reporting that lock data back in, in early 2018. So I think the punchline here is that lenders are now as reliant on the purchase market as they have been in years, and, and we'll really need to continue to focus there given the relative strength compared to refis. The Optimal Blue PPE is the most widely used product and pricing engine in the mortgage industry, which gives Black Knight a unique look into actual origination pipelines as opposed to relying on survey data. Given that unique viewpoint, what can you tell our listeners about the most recent rate lock volumes? Yeah, happy to happy to talk about a few of the themes we're tracking right now. Um, we'll be touching on these in our, our monthly origination market monitor for May, which should be out in the next week or so. From a production standpoint, despite the leveling off in rates at the back end of the month, new locks fell again in May with, with lock volumes down 5% month over month. It was really driven by rate term refi locks falling 24%. They're down 90% year over year and, and cash outs dropping 12%, now down 42% year over year. As previously mentioned, purchase volumes were also down, but have been a bit more resilient. Looking at credit, we saw borrower score borrower scores fall across the board, led by another steep drop in, in cash out refis. Cash out credit scores are, are now below 700 on average, down 20 points in the last three months and 33 points from this time last year. We also saw average loan amount fall for the first time in months from 362 to 359,000 driven both by a, a slowing in home price appreciation, as well as a shift towards more FHA and VA lending, which is typically used on, on lower priced homes. In fact, in May, Gubby products accounted for 25% of our total rate lock volume, up from just 20% at the beginning of the year. I know, Andy, you've been closely following the impact on the secondary market, given the, the shifting sands on the origination side. Any, any color you want to add here? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same things that you're talking about on the origination front, when we look at it from a lender's perspective, all the different driving factors that are causing the transition in the market this year for lenders are affecting the capital markets folks as well. I mean, if you look at prepayment speeds out there in the market, they're down 70% from recent highs. But even beyond that, right, when we start to look at forecasting of, of future prepayment speeds, when we start to look at current MSR valuations and, and forecasting future MSR valuations, the drivers behind that activity are, are noticeably different today than they have been in the past. Right? If we look at where we entered the pandemic back in February of 2020, refis, which we typically think of as, as those prepayment drivers, drove 84% of all activity. It was a pretty natural market, right? If you could model incentive to refinance, you could model prepayment activity back then. So noticeably different now. If you look at the market in April of this year, now that shares dropped from 84% down to 41%. And actually housing turnover, home sales are driving more prepayment activity than they have been in the past. So now we go from this hierarchy where it's traditionally just uh, modeling refinance incentive to now housing turnovers, number one, understanding equity positions and, and uh, propensity to, to refinance based on equity. And then rate term refinance are, are a distant third in the market right now in terms of prepayment drivers. So when we look at the market, not only is it a transitionary year for lenders out there, but certainly for capital markets folks, and as, as they kind of address their, uh, their prepayment models, certainly need to take account for the changing market as well. And how are borrowers those who are plowing ahead in this market despite rates, prices, and everything else approaching these challenges? Are we seeing, for instance, a spike in jumbo lending to account for higher home prices? Any other behavior shifts? Yeah, you're seeing a lot of different things play out. Part of it has to do with the affordability pressures that, that Brendan mentioned early, so, earlier. So th those are certainly driving different borrower behavior, but there are all these different nuanced rate incentive pieces taking place because of the Fed policy shifts, because 
long-term rates rose more quickly than short-term rates. Some of the dynamics have, have changed in the market, which are driving borrower shifts in behavior as well. So one most certainly is, is an increase in adjustable rate mortgages, right? Not only again, because of the affordability pressures that are pushed on, onto the market right now, but also because when you look at adjustable rate mortgages and, and the rates being offered compared to fixed rate mortgages, ARMS are the most attractive they've been since 2014. And so we're already starting to see that ratchet up a little bit in, in March, April, May, interoptimal blue data and folks leaning a little bit more on adjustable rate mortgages. We're seeing rises in non-conforming, non-QM, expanded guideline loans, again, for, for some of those same reasons, because affordability is tightening up, because borrowers are kind of reaching out in uh, a little bit more into non-traditional products, but also because of profitab profitability differences for lenders as well, right? They're simply more profitable in some cases than the traditional conforming loans that have been constrained profit-wise a little bit because of some of these Fed moves and, and tightening spreads. Uh, you mentioned the jumbo market. That's absolutely the case. Part of it has to do with the home price rises that we've seen in, in recent years, but that's also a rate spread issue as well, right? If you look at jumbos versus conformings a year ago, they were almost identical. Uh, because of the different funding mechanisms, jumbo rates are now about a half a percent below conforming rates. And so when you look at the recent rate rises and rate activity, it's impacted the folks shopping at the high end market a little bit less than folks that are shopping more with conforming mortgages. And so I think that's something to watch here throughout 2022 as well. And then the last one, and we'll get into this one more a little bit later on this week, but HELOC lending may be set for a little bit of a rebound as well. Um, so partially because of the rate dynamic of the folks that hold the equity, but also if you look at HELOC rate offerings, and again, the fact that long-term rates rose more quickly this year and the Fed is now starting to ratchet up short-term rates, HELOCs, comparatively speaking, are more attractive than they have been in the, in, in the past. In fact, uh, HELOC interest rate offerings are below 30-year conforming loans consistently for the first time since 2008, which makes those products more attractive and it could be set for a little bit of a rebound in, in HELOC lending this year as well. On tomorrow's show, we'll dive more deeply into the dynamics of today's housing market. But before we go, is there any advice you'd give the originators in our audience who are facing a drastically different market than they've enjoyed over the past few years? Yeah, and I'll start here and then I'll pass it over to Brendan. There are uh, probably three things that I would mention here. If I'm looking at the market from a lender in ways that, that I would address the market uh, th this year, the first one is be strategic and be nimble, right? The market, I think the word of the year this year is going to be transitionary when you start to look at the, the lending market. You're going to need to be very strategic and be ready to, to change throughout the year, both in terms of product, product offerings, in terms of pricing, in terms of the way that you're approaching the market. Our optimal blue rate like that is a great way to kind of stay up to date on some of those kind of market shifts before they actually show up in overall origination trends. So I think watching that data is going to be extremely important throughout the year. But products like the McDash property module, right, that, that links the before and after picture of refinance activity. You can see all of the different characteristics before a loan was refinanced. So all the characteristics after a loan is refinanced is going to be more important than ever this year because the dynamic is going to change, right? Who is refinancing, why they're refinancing, what products they're looking for is going to change throughout the year. And watching that underlying data, who, who what, when, where, why, right? Understanding where they're coming from, where, where should you be marketing, targeting your efforts there, and what products should you be offering to those specific borrowers is going to be extremely important this year. The second one, and, and Brendan touched on this one earlier, the purchase market, right? If you're just looking for a, a simple solution here for 2022, focus on purchase lending first. As Brendan mentioned, 82% of rate locks in May were purchase rate locks. That's as dependent that we've been on the purchase market in 20 years. I think that's a simple solution, a simple focus point uh, for folks looking to keep it easy, nurture those purchase pipelines. And then the third one is 
focus on your tech solutions and your AI solutions now, right? It, it sounds weird because we're, we're stepping back from a high origination volume environment to a low origination volume environment. And I think a lot of folks are kind of stepping back into a corner right now. Now is really the time to set yourself up for future success. So focus on that technology. What do you want your platforms to look like? What do you want your tech stack to look like moving forward, right? What AI solutions do you want implemented for the next go around the next time the wave comes? Because I see today a lot like 2018, 19, right? If we look back at the conversations we were having in 2018 and 2019, rates had gone up from three and a half to 5%. Refinance incentive was down. All the conversations were about the future rate increases that we were going to see. It's very, very similar to what we're seeing right now for a lot of different reasons, right? So rather than, and we all kind of know how that played out late 2019, we already started to see rates decline and volumes return even before the pandemic hit, right? So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that we're just in this long-term lull in terms of overall origination activity. What I do see is that now folks have kind of that time, right? We've been in a heavy origination environment. There hasn't been time to, to implement or be strategic over the last couple of years. Now's the time to put that stuff in place, right? When you have this, this downtime in the market, we know that it's impossible to implement tech stacks when you're, when you're going through record levels of origination uh, activity. Now's the time to, to make those strategic movements for the future. Uh, Brennan, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that as well. I mean, I think agreed on all accounts, Andy. The I just would say, you know, as it relates to the tech stack, some some more specificity there. I think for pricing, we, we'd say, you know, work on finding an engine like Optimal Blue or Loan Sifter for our broker listeners that is not only dependable but but also adaptive for the types of products and, and potentially new programs you're going to be offering this year as the market changes. And then, although it may not always be top of mind, that that pipeline hedging. Uh, in a volatile market is just so critical to maintain profitability. Right now, you, you want to make sure you've got an accurate hedge model that takes into account the loan level characteristics, things like spec payup volatility, servicing valuation, and, and pull-through sensitivity due to market movement. And um, obviously, you know we're always here, of course, whether you're an existing Black Knight or Optimal Blue customer, or just thinking about adding one of our solutions, we're, we're always available to discuss what we're seeing in the market and, and help kind of with best practices and, and what other folks are doing. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That was great, and I really enjoyed it. The Federal Housing Finance Agency, or FHFA, which oversees Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, aka the GSEs, introduced new public disclosure requirements to the Enterprise Regulatory Capital Framework. And yesterday, FHFA released its inaugural mission report that describes the activities of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, or the enterprises, and the federal home loan banks in 2021 to provide greater access to financing for targeted economic development and affordable, equitable, and sustainable housing. Why should the average MLO care? Originators have certainly turned some of their collective attention to non-QM, jumbo, or bond programs. Still, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae garnered the lion's share of residential loans in the United States, and what FHFA says impacts their business. Gone are the days of talking about GSE reform and weekly opinions about recapitalizing and releasing them, although those are still long-term goals leaving Fannie and Freddie to focus on carrying out activities such as helping first-time homebuyers, looking at affordable housing goals, and helping finance the common man and woman rather than investors who own several rentals or second homes. Why did rates go up yesterday when there was no scheduled news? Well, China's COVID crisis seems to be winding down, which is good for global growth prospects. And the elephant in the room is still the Fed's winding down of its balance sheet which began on June 1st at an initial combined monthly pace of $47.5 billion, a move that will further tighten credit for U.S. households. 
The Fed is on track to reduce its balance sheet by about $3 trillion over the next three years. Will there be buyers of what the Fed is selling? The Fed is on track to raise the Fed funds rate 50 basis points in the next two meetings to bring down demand and better balance with aggregate supply. Much like yesterday, it's another light economic calendar today, as the week after the first Friday of the month jobs report is generally data light. The only releases today are the April trade deficit, April consumer credit, and a treasury auction of $44 billion of three-year notes. Given no further Fed speak ahead of the June FOMC meeting, the biggest economic report and market mover may be the consumer price index on Friday, as investors focus mainly on the month-over-month numbers to see if inflation is beginning to moderate. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A judge was interviewing a South Carolina woman regarding her pending divorce and asked, what are the grounds for your divorce? About four acres and a nice little home in the middle of the property with a stream running by. No, he said. I mean, what is the foundation of this case? It is made of concrete, brick, and mortar, she responded. I mean, what are are your relations like? I have an aunt and uncle and 12 cousins living here in town, as well as my husband's parents. The judge took a deep breath and asked, do you have a real grudge? No, we have a two-car carport and have never really needed one because we don't have a car. Please, he tried again, is there any infidelity in your marriage? Yes, both my son and daughter have stereo sets. We don't necessarily like the music, all that hip-hop and rap trap, but we can't seem to do anything about it. Ma'am, does your husband ever beat you up? Yes, he gets up every morning before I do and makes the coffee. Finally, in frustration, the judge asked, Lady, why in the hell do you want a divorce? Oh, I don't want a divorce. I've never wanted a divorce. My husband does. The damn fool says he can't communicate with me. (laughs) Thanks again to Black Knight. This week's podcast sponsor is an award-winning software, data and analytics company that drives innovation in the mortgage and real estate industries and the capital and secondary markets. The company's data and analytics division provides comprehensive property and mortgage data, as well as innovative analytics. Learn more at blackknightinc.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.